will work through this passage one section at a time, and so we will read through this prayer in Daniel chapter 9. But I want to begin by giving you a statement that was uh, stated by someone that, that many of us know fairly well, the 19th century Scottish pastor, poet, one who is known for piety in prayer, Robert Murray McChaney, said this, what a man is on his knees before God, that he is, and no more. Did you get that? What a man is before, on his knees before God, that he is, and no more. And ladies, that applies to you as well. How very convicting. Prayer is a window into one's true self. Perhaps we could say even a window in, into the soul. And so what do we learn about Daniel as we look through this window in the form of a prayer with regards to his understanding of prayer and his view of God and really his view of life? And you'll find this prayer recorded in chapter 9. Daniel gives us the outline. If you look at the end of the prayer, in the first part of verse 19, you'll find three points. Yes, Daniel prayed a three-point prayer. And I'm going to preach a three-point sermon. And he prayed, O Lord, hear. And then he petitioned, O Lord, forgive. And then he said to God, O Lord, pay attention and act. Let's pray. Our Father, preaching on prayer, how do you open with prayer? But O Lord, show us the lessons that you would have for us today that we might be more faithful in prayer as Daniel, this man of prayer, enable him to be our guide this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So why did Daniel pray in verse 19? O Lord, hear. Daniel was moved to prayer, inspired by Scripture. Turn to Daniel chapter 9, we'll read verses 1 through 3, and follow along as I read. In the first year of Darius, the son of Hazarius, by descendant Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas of mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. What moves us to pray? I would say that our need or other people's needs A time of crisis often move us to pray. Listen to what Paul says to the Philippian church. Do not be anxious about anything, but 
in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Philippians 4 and verse 6. So obviously in times of need, crisis, and it, we present everything to the Lord in prayer. Daniel prayed in light of his need and in times of crisis. Remember back in chapter 2, after Daniel was given Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and Nebuchadnezzar was about putting all the wise men to death, Daniel gathered his companions and they prayed, Lord, protect us that we would not be put to death with all the other wise men. And then you may remember from Daniel chapter 6, as Darius had issued this edict that made it illegal for 30 days for petitions to be made to any God or anyone but him. And what did Daniel do three times a day, every day, but get on his knees, face Jerusalem, and pray? And he prayed after he found out about this edict And he made petition and plea before his God. Likely, we don't know exactly what Daniel prayed, but I suspect he probably prayed that he would be able to stand firm in light of this time of crisis because he knew that he would likely be thrown into the lion's den. And he was. So it's right for us to pray in light of our need and other people's needs and in times of crises. But We learn that Daniel prayed in this prayer in Daniel chapter 9, not because he was moved by a need or in a time of crisis, but he prayed because he was reading God's word. Daniel was moved to pray inspired by scripture. And I would suggest to you that in order to discover why Daniel was so moved to pray in light of God's word, we need to think about the date of this prayer. We know, verse 1, that Daniel, and verse 2, that Daniel prayed this prayer the first year of King Darius's reign. We know that date steadfastly being 539 B.C. Remember, Babylon had fallen to Darius as the, as the leader at that time of the Medo-Persian Empire, or at least he was given this leadership role in the, in the conquered Babylon by Cyrus. But nonetheless, it was the first year of Darius' reign. Daniel prayed this prayer, 539 B.C. And we know in verse 2, likely that Daniel was studying, meditating upon a passage, maybe two passages, Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 8 through 14, and more than likely, Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 and 11. Why do we know that? Because he was studying a passage that spoke about God's promise to restore Jerusalem and bring his people back from exile after 70 years. And these two passages in the prophet Jeremiah deal with that. Jeremiah chapter 25 speaks about this very thing that that after 70 years, Jerusalem would be restored and the people would be brought back from exile. And I'll just read for for you Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. 
All right, so why is the date of this prayer and exactly what Daniel was reading so important to understanding the entirety of the prayer? And it's simply this, that Daniel had been in exile since 605 B.C., 66 years. And the timetable for God to fulfill this promise was running out. And so toward the end of this 70-year period, Daniel prays this prayer. In fact, the scriptures tell us in verse 3 that, da- that Daniel turned his face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer. What a powerful and beautiful description of prayer, turning our face to God. And as we reflect upon being face to face with God, we have to know and we have to affirm that only one who has an intimate covenantal relationship with God can be face to face with God, that has the privilege of prayer. And so Daniel goes to the Lord face to face with him, in communion with him. We see Daniel came before God face to face with humility. He, he was in the form of one mourning over sin in the Old Testament framework with, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel is showing us even in his posture and manner of prayer that he was fully dependent upon God, that what God had he needed, that he needed God. He depended on God to fulfill his covenant promises. Dear brothers and sisters, I wonder if we come to prayer, if we turn face to face with God with such a sense of our need. God, if you don't act, I'm undone. And Daniel seeks God not arrogantly, not in a demanding way, but broken and contrite, totally dependent upon God. Does that bring conviction to you? It does to me. What turns our face to God in prayer? Yeah, need, crises. But the primary mover of our souls to turn our face to God in prayer should be a direct result of our reading and studying God's word and his promises. I read Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 10 that promises that God after 70 years will restore the city of Jerusalem to its glory and bring the people back from exile. But I want to read verse 11 to you at this time. We've actually read this verse several times throughout this series on Daniel. It's such a precious promise. I just want you to listen. Listen to this promise. This is not your pastor speaking to you. This is God through his word promising you and me along with Daniel (laughs) this For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Dear child of God, what a precious promise. 
Can you imagine Daniel there after 66 years of being in exile from the center of God's worship and that center being in rubble is reading Jeremiah about this glorious promise of God. And he comes to verse 11 of chapter 29. And he reads about a future and a hope that is his. And he turned his face to God in prayer. We so desperately need God's promises fulfilled in our lives. Daniel sensed that. And that's why, after reading this glorious promise, he went to prayer. Scripture was the inspiration of Daniel's prayer. And Scripture, first and foremost, even before need and crisis, must be the inspiration for our praying. I can just imagine Daniel praying, Look, O Lord, hear me pray your praises and your promises. That's what we need to be praying first and foremost. And this leads into the second O Lord statement, O Lord, forgive, that we find in verse 19. Daniel prayed by faith in God to keep his promises and especially the promise of mercy, forgiveness, and restoration. Now, verses 4 through 18 is a long passage. We're going to read it because I want Daniel's specific, I want the specifics of his prayer to sink in. So follow along as I read, beginning with verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them because of treachery that they have committed against you, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. And have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. 
Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. And we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourselves, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. That's the content thus far of Daniel's prayer. What characterizes our prayers? Maybe you follow the acrostic acts, ACTS, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I suspect for many of us, our prayers are imbalanced, heavy on supplication and light on adoration, confession, and thanksgiving. What characterized Daniel's prayer? It was imbalanced. I would say terribly imbalanced, but imbalanced in the right direction. Heavy on adoration, confession, and we see thanksgiving there as well. In verse 3, he said, I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer. And then he also said, and pleas of mercy with fasting and sackcloth. Listen, there was good reason for Daniel to turn his face to the Lord and plea for mercy and forgiveness and restoration because Israel had sinned grievously. And because of that, Jerusalem had been destroyed, the city, and the people had been exiled. Israel is unrepentant in their sin against God. And this imbalance of adoration, confession, and thanksgiving is really rooted in the reality of God's promise to be merciful and to be forgiving and to be restorative. And I just simply want to note three principles. There are many more than three principles in this prayer, but I just have time for three, so I want to give you my top three principles. First of all, Daniel begins this prayer acknowledging God for who he is. Listen to what he says in verse 4. God is great and awesome. God is a faithful covenant keeper. God is steadfast in his covenant love for his people. And then he goes on to say, God's people are those who love God and obey his commandments. So adoration and praise is offered up before he gets into confession. And I would suggest to you that that is a great thing to practice. That before we go to confession, we rejoice in who God is is so that we go to confession knowing God is a God of faithfulness. A covenant keeper is merciful and loves to forgive his people of their sins and restore them. Don't you need to know that when you go to the Lord to confess your sins? I surely do. And then second, Daniel acknowledges Israel's sin and for what it is, an offense against God. And interestingly enough, Daniel views himself as part of the problem. He joins himself to the corporate guilt of the nation. Daniel owns the sin himself, and he confesses in verse 5. We have sinned, he confesses in verse 6. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, in particular Jeremiah. Uh, Verse 8 
to us belongs shame. And verse 11, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside. Listen with Daniel and his confession of Israel's sin corporately. There's no trivialization, trivializing of sin. Uh, there's no skirting around the fact that Israel has sinned against God. He owns it. He confesses it. He doesn't try to rationalize it away. Then in verse 11, Daniel says that this calamity that has come upon Israel, the destruction of the city and the exile of God's people is solely at the feet of Israel. Listen to what he says. You know, Israel is the one who has broke the covenant. God says, my people who love me and obey my commands, God's people are the ones who didn't love God and who broke his commands, who violated the covenant. And Daniel clearly and succinctly says, we have sinned against God. Let me tell you something. You know that you've truly repented, at least in one way, when you're not only sorry for what you've done, but you come to the place of being able to say, I have offended God Almighty. My sin is against him. How many people were part of David's sinful consequences? He sinned against, in effect, the entire nation. But in Psalm 51, David confesses, against you and you only have I sinned. And he was saying that to God. And so Daniel acknowledges who God is. Uh, Daniel is truthful about the sinfulness of sin. And then thirdly, Daniel affirms God's righteousness and Israel's shame. Unlike Adam, who ultimately blamed God for giving him Eve because Eve led him into sin, Adam was the first and greatest blame shifter, and we followed suit after that. Uh, Daniel doesn't shift the blame at all here in, in his prayer. He says that God is righteous in every respect. In verse 14, therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all works that he has done and we have not obeyed his voice. Verse 7, to you, O Lord, belongs a righteousness. God is righteous. He's the standard. He is the standard. And he's also righteous to punish and to judge those who violate his standard. The responsibility for the calamity that is upon the city of Jerusalem and Israel is their responsibility, the people's responsibility. And God is righteous. Now, in my study of this prayer, the whole prayer really comes down to one verse, and it's verse 9. Daniel prayed, To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. You know, Daniel did not pray, To the Lord our God belong justice and wrath. God is a God, and justice does belong to God. God is a God of wrath, and wrath does belong to God. But in Daniel's mind, and by the way, what should be in our minds is that what most characterizes God 
is not justice and wrath, but rather mercy and forgiveness. Because your brothers and sisters, we need that promise fulfilled desperately. In fact, I would say that if God doesn't fulfill that promise of mercy and forgiveness, we will encounter justice and wrath. We see this bizarre contrast to the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness. And his people are shameful in rebellion. And yet God doesn't disown us. God is a God who loves to show mercy and forgiveness to his ever so wayward children. And he loves to show it over and over and over again. Can we ever exhaust the mercy of God? Listen to the call to worship this morning, at least part of it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. There, the writer of Hebrews is talking about our great, our great high priest and, and we should go, who is in heaven now interceding for us, and we should go to him in, in prayer. Let us then with confidence, with, and I was, I'll just say with boldness, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus has the grace that, we're, that we need. It is a promise that's fulfilled day in and day out in the lives of his people as we come to him and he lavishes that, that grace upon us. Daniel prayed inspired by scripture, relishing in the promises of God. And Daniel prayed by faith in God, keeping his covenant promises, especially the promises of mercy, forgiveness, and restoration. And why did Daniel pray? Thirdly, O Lord, pay attention and act. And I'll tell you why Daniel prayed that prayer in verse, that made that petition in verse 19, is that he prayed for God's own sake. In other words, he was motivated by a zeal for God's glory. That's why he prayed, O oh Lord, pay attention and act. Read with me verses, well, I'll read, you follow along, verses 16 through 19. O oh Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon the sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations. And the city that is called by your name, for we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Do not delay for your own sake, O my God. 
because your city and your people are called by your name. What motivates you and me to pray? We pray to have communion with God. Great. We, we pray because of legitimate needs and in times of crisis. Wonderful. We pray, oh Lord, forgive. Yes. But we also pray illegitimately. We pray with the wrong motive. As James in chapter 4 reminds us, you ask and you don't get. Why? Because you ask with the wrong motives, so you might use what you ask for on yourself. And he calls us an adulterous people. We use God to get what we want. And so what motivates us to pray is a mixed bag, isn't it? We often pray with the right motives. We often pray with the wrong motives. But Daniel shows us what he means when he says, listen up, God. Pay attention, God. Act. (laughs) When I first read that, I thought, my goodness. Daniel, kind of getting in God's face, aren't you? Yes, and so should we. Because Daniel is not being irreverent here. Daniel has a zeal and a passion not for his needs to be met, not even for him to be forgiven and the people to be forgiven, not even is his zeal for the restoration of the city of Jerusalem so all can say, oh my, what a great city Jerusalem is. What motivated Daniel to pray? What motivates us to pray so we get what we want, even legitimate things? No, primarily It is out of a zeal for God's own sake, for his own glory. That's what motivates us to pray. And so Daniel's petition for God to pay attention and his petition for God to act is basically saying this, Oh God, you have promised these things. Bring them about, not for my good, not for your people's good, but for your glory. For the sake of your name. Dr. Ferguson writes, The supplication offered before the heavenly throne becomes the instrument of God's activity on earth. And what Ferguson is saying is that our prayers are sovereignly used of God to bring about the fulfillment of his promises. And so that's why Daniel being moved and inspired by Scripture to pray about mercy and forgiveness and restoration, the very promise of God, was able to, as it seems, get in God's face and say, God, do what you've promised to do. And that should be what we do as well in prayer, motivated for God's own sake. Daniel says in verse 18, God, open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. He's really not rebuking God. God sees all. God ordained all. But again, his motive is, oh God, my heart's passion is for you not to delay for your own sake. Because your city and your people are called by your name 
O God. Think about that with regards to your prayer life even today. And is God's interest, even in our prayers, his own glory? Is God's interest, even in the life of this church, his own glory? Is God's interest in the life of your family, his own glory, in the salvation of the lost, his own glory? Listen to what Ezekiel 36, verse 22. Read read the entire chapter this afternoon. It's a powerful chapter, but this is what... We read in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22, God saying, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not, listen to this, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you come. And then the rest of Ezekiel 36 are the actions, the merciful actions that God takes to gather his people, back from exile to cleanse his people, to, to restore them, to give them a new heart, to give them a new spirit, to cause them to walk in his way. See, God did all of this great stuff that are legitimate things for us to lift up in prayer, but he did it for his own sake. And dear brothers and sisters, everything we pray needs to go, needs to be motivated by something much bigger than you and me and our church and our families and even our country and even the well-being of this world. There should be one overarching, fundamental, primary (laughs) motivation in every prayer that we offered up. Oh God, for your sake, for your glory, for the sake of your holy name, I pray. And let me tell you something. If we pray motivated in that way, we will not only find that our prayers really do make a difference in our own lives and the lives of this world. Can you believe it? Because God sovereignly uses prayer to do his work. But our prayers will be characterized by power. Because it's not our power. It's the power of God. Well, we've looked into this window that is Daniel's prayer. And we've seen Daniel, a man of prayer, we see Daniel moved to prayer, to prayer inspired by Scripture. We've seen Daniel praying by faith in God, keeping his promises, especially the promises of mercy, forgiveness, and restoration. And we've seen Daniel praying for one purpose Motivated by one thing, a zeal and a passion for God's own sake, his glory. And may the window that is our prayers reflect these three powerful aspects of the prayer of a godly person. Scripture. Faith. And a zeal for God's glory. Let's pray. Our Father, as we come now and reflect upon what we've studied here in Daniel, I almost feel a bit of shame praying because of such a powerful prayer that serves as 
a model, an example. And yet, Lord, my heart's desire for myself, for this congregation, is that we would more and more be moved to, pr- to pray out of our study and love of Scripture and the promises of God. I long to see a day, Lord, that we might have a prayer meeting here at Covenant and very few needs. We do, we do need to pray for our needs, but the, but the whole time is consumed with adoration and praise and confession and thanksgiving and, and rehearsing back to you the promises of God. Oh, Lord, hear about how great you are and how wonderful your promises are. Oh, Lord, give us faith that we would trust you, our covenant-keeping God, especially when it comes to promises like mercy, forgiveness, and restoration. And, oh, Lord, perhaps the greatest challenge for me in all of this is that you would make me a man, and you make us a people who pray with one motivation, your own sake, the glory of your name. So work, we would ask in Jesus' name. Amen.